I'm Satya Doyle Bayak, and this is the Salome Podcast. Something is making its approach to us. Our wars are results of projection, of not being able to understand that what we are actually fighting externally is something we don't want to fight inside of ourselves. Here we are, how will we hold this? How will we hold the light inside the dark? If consciousness is going to shift on the planet, it shifts in the single individual. In each episode, my co-host Carol Ferris and I explore the social and personal relevance of Carl Jung's magnum opus, known as The Red Book. Carol and I began recording these episodes as live salons online on the first Sunday of our COVID quarantine in Portland, Oregon, in the spring of 2020. Each week, we welcome the community into our conversation with a concluding Q&A. Today's chapter is a very rich, beautiful, complicated chapter, and it is called The Gift of Magic. And Carol is going to set us up for where we ended last week. His soul was about to speak to him again. One of the things that really struck me about the reading this week, and we'll get to it, is he says, it is still dark and the terrible goes on growing. So here we are. Last week, Jung's soul gave him three gifts. The misery of war, the darkness of magic. Jung said last week, I find painted stones, carved bones with magical signs, talismanic sayings on hanks of leather and small plates of lead, dirty pouches filled with teeth, human hair and fingernails, Timbers lashed together, black orbs, moldy animal skins. All the superstitions hatched by dark prehistory. And his soul says, will you accept this? <laughs> so, and then, of course, the third gift is the gift of religion. And um, I, this, this chapter has raised for me uh, an ongoing reflection on that if, for me as an astrologer, the observation of phenomena as they arise in time is both an occasion for worship or for action. And that in a way that's the difference between religion and magic. Do you live with it as it is, or do you take the information for your purposes? And I think this is a part of Jung's struggle here. So he's, his soul has given him these three gifts And Satya and I are going to read back and forth a bit and have a conversation a bit. And there are a lot of beautiful images to look at today. So do you want to be Jung or do you want to be a soul? You choose. All right. I'll be this Jung. You'll be Jung. All right. So we ended last week and and there's two words we're going to open up pretty soon because this chapter really spins on two words, magic and solace. So, of course, we're going to check in with Anne on the translations for those two words in a short bit here. So the last chapter ends, and then my soul whispered to me, do you not hear something? I'm not aware of anything. What should I hear? A ringing. A ringing? What? I hear nothing. Listen harder. Mm, Perhaps something in the left ear. What could it mean? Misfortune. I accept what you say. I want to have fortune and misfortune. Well, then, raise your hands and receive what comes to you. What is it? A rod? A black serpent? A black rod formed like a serpent with two pearls as eyes? A gold bangle around its neck? Is it not like a magical rod? It is a magical rod. What should I do with magic? Is the magical rod a misfortune? Is magic a misfortune? Yes, for those who possess it. That sounds like the saints of old. How strange you are, my soul. What should I do with magic? Magic will do a lot for you. I'm afraid that you're stirring up my desire and misunderstanding. You know that man never stops craving the black art and things that cost no effort. Magic is not easy and it demands sacrifice. Does it demand the sacrifice of love, of humanity? If it does, take the rod back. Don't be rash. 
Magic doesn't demand that sacrifice. It demands another sacrifice. And what sacrifice is that? The sacrifice that magic demands is solace. So that's a good place to talk to Anne. Anne, help us understand this word solace because it is going to come up over and over again in the coming reading. And it's, it is a word that has tripped me up in this chapter over and over again because it just doesn't quite resonate somehow. And so I would love for you to unpack this word for us in the translation. All right. Trost, uh, the word in, in German is Trost, capital T-R-O-S-T. And I looked that, that word up um, etymologically myself because it was so interesting. And it turns out that that is a word that was given to a sibling after an older sibling had died. In other words, as consolation for the loss of the older child. And in fact, I've been trying to remember all week that I knew somebody, Peter Trost, and I can't remember his last name, that it would actually be given as a name. And what that meant is you were the consolation for the loss of. So solace isn't absolutely an incorrect translation. We don't have the exact one. Actually, it can wind up even being the origin of our word trust. But I became suspicious as I was reading it that what he's really referring to here here as trust is the sentence that comes up later, which says... You want me to read it? Yeah, you read it. Okay, so this you sent earlier to us. So the, the sentence is, you always want to have at least one foot on paths not your own to avoid the great solitude so that maternal comfort is always with you so that someone acknowledges you, recognizes you, bestows trust in you, comforts you, encourages you. Yes, and so that is the same word, actually, in a translation, which is a giveaway. It's called muter, mother, trust, trust. So you really do get that connection there, that the solace that they're looking at is the solace of mother, of maternal comfort. So that word, so, so that maternal comfort is always with you, that word maternal comfort, comfort, is the same word as they've translated as solace. Exactly. It wow. has the word mother and then it has the word trust. Let's start this reading again and use comfort instead of solace because, again, okay. it is much more clear to me to use that word per okay. Anne's translation. All right. So comfort, do I understand correctly? Understanding you is unspeakably difficult. Tell me, what does this mean? Comfort is to be sacrificed. What do you mean? Should the comfort that I give or the comfort that I receive be sacrificed? Both. I'm confused. This is too dark. You must sacrifice comfort for the sake of the black rod, the comfort you give and the comfort you receive. Are you saying that I shouldn't be allowed to receive the comfort of those I love and should give no comfort to those I love? This means the loss of a piece of humanity and what one calls severity toward oneself and others takes its place. That is how it is. Does the rod demand this sacrifice? It demands this sacrifice. Am I allowed to make this sacrifice for the sake of the rod? Must I accept the rod? Do you want to or not? I can't say. What do I know about the black rod? Who gives it to me? The darkness that lies before you. It is the next thing that comes to you. Will you accept it and offer it your sacrifice? It is hard to sacrifice to the dark, to the blind darkness. And what a sacrifice. Nature. Does nature offer comfort? Does it accept comfort? You venture a heavy word. What solitude are you asking of me? This is your misfortune and the power of the black rod. How gloomily and full of foreboding you speak. Are you sheathing me in the armor of icy severity? Are you clasping my heart with a bronze carapace? I'm happy with the warmth of life. Should I miss it for the sake of magic? What is magic? You don't know magic, so don't judge. 
What are you bristling at? Magic? What should I do with magic? I don't believe in it. I can't believe in it. My heart sinks. And I'm supposed to sacrifice a greater part of my humanity to magic? I advise you, don't struggle against this. And above all, don't act so enlightened as if deep down you do not believe in magic. You're inexorable. But I can't believe in magic. Or maybe I have a completely false idea of it. Yes, I gather that from what you're saying. Cast aside your blind judgment and critical gesture. Otherwise, you'll never understand. Do you still mean to waste years waiting? Be patient. My science has not yet been overcome. High time that you overcame it. You ask a great deal, almost too much. After all, is science essential to life? Is science life? There are people who live without science. But to overcome science for the sake of magic, that's uncanny and menacing. I just want to pause right here briefly and, and refer back to Isdubar and the chapter on Isdubar, first day in which he's encountering this idea of science in the West being a form of magic to Isdubar and Isdubar's science of astrology and belief being magic. So we're opening up what this word means for Jung and all the worlds and layers that's in this one word. Belief, trust. I loved that relationship again there. This idea of trust, belief, faith, and the yin sciences, the mm -hmm. witches and the astrologers, right? That, that are kind of coming back more into Jung's consciousness here. So he's scared, right? And his soul says, are you afraid? Don't you want to risk life? Isn't it life that presents you with this problem? All this leaves me so dazed and confused. Won't you give me an enlightening word? Oh, so it's comfort you long for. Do you want the rod or don't you? You tear my heart to pieces. I want to submit to life, but how difficult this is. I want the black rod because it is the first thing the darkness grants me. I don't know what this rod means, nor what it gives. I only feel what it takes. I want to kneel down and receive this messenger of darkness. I have received the black rod, and now I hold it, the enigmatic one, in my hand. It is cold and heavy like iron. The pearl eyes of the serpent look at me blindly and dazzlingly, what do you want, mysterious gift? All the darkness of all former worlds crowds together in you, you hard black piece of steel. Are you time and fate? The essence of nature, hard and eternally inconsolable or uncomforting, yet the sum of all mysterious creative force? Primordial magic words seem to emanate from you. Mysterious effects weave around you and what powerful arts slumber in you. You pierce me with unbearable tension. What grimaces will you make? What terrible mystery will you create? Will you bring bad weather, storms, cold, thunder and lightning, or will you make the fields fruitful and bless the bodies of pregnant women? What is the mark of your being? Or don't you need that, you son of the dark womb? Do you content yourself with the hazy darkness whose concretion and crystal you are? Where in my soul do I shelter you? In my heart? Should my heart be your shrine, your holy of holies? So, choose your place. I have accepted you. What crushing tension you bring with you. Isn't the bow of my nerves breaking? I've taken in the messenger of the night. The most powerful magic lives in it. I feel it and yet can't put into words the nightmarish power granted to it. I wanted to laugh because so much alters in laughter and resolves itself only there. But laughter dies in me. The magic of this rod is as solid as iron and as cold as death. 
forgive me, my soul. I don't want to be impatient, but it seems to me that something has got to happen to break through this unbearable tension that came with the rod. Wait. Keep your eyes and ears open. I'm shuddering, and I don't know why. Sometimes one must shudder before the greatest. I bow, my soul, before unknown forces. I'd like to consecrate an altar to each unknown God I must submit. The black iron in my heart gives me secret power. It's like defiance and like contempt for men. Okay. So no, I'm, so, I'm so struck by this. I, I have been getting reading number 38 in the I Ching these past whiles, and this is exactly what it talks about. It's the reaching, it's the fire over lake. It's the, the divergent forces of depth and, and animate life. And how, how do you live with the tension between those two things? I, this helps me understand reading 38 in a way that I hadn't before. That and Stephen Karcher's translation of 38. Mm-hmm. He's really the best. So this, I'm just going to open up more this idea of magic a little bit more here. That for Jung, it is this notion that if he tends his garden well, And if he works deeply on himself and focuses deeply on himself, this is alchemy, right? It's this image of the alchemists doing this this intense psychological work and just working with the stone and their uh, small bits of matter in front of them, that that opens up something for the entire world. So he says in various ways, and this may be yet to come in in the the reading, uh, the next few paragraphs, but he expresses, if, if I do this and I focus on myself, that emanates outward. Again, he's not speaking about proselytizing. He's speaking about, if I do my work, the magic starts to spread. So it's this yin wisdom. The shuddering in that last line really opens up for me both the healing from trauma, which can help us reconnect to existence in a different way, that a core component that we now understand, this is the work of Peter Levine, His work is a deep understanding that when animals are releasing the stress and the tension of trauma, of being stuck somewhere in in between worlds, they do this incredible shaking and they shake off all of the stress and the adrenaline and they come back to consciousness and they are alive again and they are okay. They are deeply alive. My favorite Grimm's fairy tale is this fairy tale called um, The Youth Who Goes Off in Search of Fear which I'm certain is a poor translation because, in fact, it has nothing to do with fear. The entire story is this young man, speaking of the journey, leaving home, that early separation, and going off in search of shuddering. You know, all the men that he encountered tried to make him afraid because their association with shuddering is fear. But really, he's just observed in other people this experience of their spine shaking and their body moving and their, and their shoulders moving. He wants to know what it is to shudder. It's not until the end of this fairy tale when he's now married to a princess and incredibly wealthy because he survived all these things, as fairy tale heroes do, um, that she finally just gets annoyed and dumps cold water on him with her nursemaid. And he wakes up from a nap, naked, shuddering, and laughs. This is, reminds me, speaking of the I Ching, of, of hexagram 51. He's, he shakes, you know, he's shocked, and he shudders. And he's thrilled because his body is finally reacting in that basic, instinctive way. And that's what I feel in this last bit. Jung is coming into a place of deep embodiment, with him, his deep self and deep healing in a way that we haven't seen before. He's really releasing from the intellect in this profound way right here and accepting belief, accepting magic, accepting astrology, accepting yin wisdom. And this whole section, which we're probably not going to have space for, but gets to stewing potions too and, Mm -hmm. and becoming the magician and the witch, right? All these things that he's been trained to hate. So so, so much rushes in there for me. I think about shuddering. I have two shuddering experiences that are germane to this. And, and that um, I was, I decided that I would sleep out in the woods when we were camping. And I, as I stood to shake out my sleeping bag, hunters who were poaching from the road shot at me. And the shot went 
into the tree right next to me and I dropped like a stone oh and lay dark on the forest floor. I didn't know I could lie that still. And I waited to hear the pickup drive away. They didn't get out. They didn't come looking to see if they'd got whatever it was they were after. And I crawled back to the cabin where my family was staying. And there they were all sitting here like this. And when I got there, I started to shake. I could not stop shaking. But, but it strikes me, it's that incredible moment of aliveness where, that, is, that is absolutely, purely, essentially that's alive. Right. You know, that's right. And And, the gift of that. And that's that was really my deep conclusion studying this fairy tale. I I I contemplated this fairy tale for months. It was speaking to me very deeply. This was about 10 years ago when I was really wrestling with it because I knew there was something critical for me in this story. But it is that the youth the youth, because I'm so compelled by the develop by you know, the psychology, Jungian psychology of young development, this youth was searching for his body and he was searching for mortality and the experience of living. So Mm -hmm. just as you express, when we're in those moments of terror, and thank God you let your body do that shaking to release, Carol, you feel life, right? In a completely different way than you did maybe 20 minutes before. Well, and this sort of takes into this next idea of Jung talking about fate, the moire, the nature of time and magic's relationship to time and astrology's relationship to time. Mm -hmm. When I was first doing astrology, I had finally gone from practicing interminably on anyone who was within two or three feet of me, and people were beginning to be referred to me, and now I was meeting strangers. This is when I was still in corporate life, so it was all part-time. And I got a phone call one day, back in the days of landlines, and a woman said to me, you probably don't remember me. And that was right. I didn't remember her. I had been seeing enough people that I didn't remember her. She said, I just wanted to thank you because everything you said that was going to happen, happened when you said it would happen, the way you said it would happen. And I am so grateful to you. Goodbye. And it was like being shot at. My whole body began to shake. And I quit doing astrology for a year after that. She told you your power. And, and, and it's like, do I, is this mine? I really understand this chapter of Jung's. I really understand it. I, and, you know, for those who are interested in Jung's dive into astrological thinking, Liz Green's book, Jung's Studies in Astrology, Prophecy, Magic, and the Qualities of Time, is a wonderful, wonderful picture of his beginning to understand from the magician's point of view, what is time telling us? What is nature telling us? What is in the moment? What's ours? What's not ours? Mm -hmm. And the relationship and the oscillation and the polarity of those two things. So when he talked, you know, in the footnote here, he talks about the moire, the fates, that's another sort of uh, rabbit hole that I went down. I got, I began to think about the clotho, lachesis, and atropos, the spinner, the measurer, and the cutter. And these are the Greek moirai. It's just this idea of, of time, that things are spinning, that things are measured, and that they're cut. And atropos is um, has a lot of names that include the, the, the one who commits the death, the one who ends it, the heartless one. And you can hear Jung talking about this when he's talking about endure them, the terrible ones. It is still dark and the terrible goes on growing. How much future the depths carry? Are not the threads spun down there over millennia? And then the footnote refers to the moire. So in Liz Green's book, She talks about Jung through the idea of can astrology suggest the nature of a moment and your relationship to it? What of it suggests your portion, the Greek word haimarmene? What is your allotment? What kind of consciousness can you bring to it, both in terms of worshiping it, which is this is my portion, this is my aliveness, and 
that's the religious aspect of it, a devotion and an honoring of the portion that you've been given, but also the measuring of it. And how is it that I bring myself to it and understand and make choices about it? And certainly when you study the history of astrology, including in ancient Mesopotamia, even though in the beginning the idea is that there is a portion and that there is time that can be observed and measured and calibrated, there was always magic involved because if the, if the portent was the king will die, then they brought in a substitute king. And if the substitute king died, well, then the king was still alive. So that idea of what, what is forecast, what is the moment hold, and what kind of response will we have to it, is really something that he's wrestling with here, you know, cooking the roots. And And time continues to come up. And Jung's contemplation of time is always speaking of comfort, you know, solace is, is a comfort to me. Because, of course, so many different traditions speak about time. Astrology is always speaking about time, right? and eons and eons. and But just as we opened up last week around the 600-year or 800-year religion, you know, this idea that the work we are doing is spreading out into the future, that starts to come up in these next couple paragraphs as well. Why don't you read? Okay. You Please. started to, to, to open that all up in that last paragraph. I will say that what part of what I want to highlight is not just the extraordinary beauty of these two paragraphs, which are all underlined for me, I love these coming two or three paragraphs, but, but also I'm going to read some a lot actually from Rilke's letters to a young poet. And, and I'll try for, for everyone to be able to hear the conversation between the two of them. If anyone wanted to ever do, and Anne, maybe I will ask this of you in the future if you want yet another scholarship task, but I am very curious if Rilke and Jung in any way had, you know, if if passed between them was some form of information, because these paragraphs are so similar to me in terms of their two writings. I know there was some link, certainly, between Freud and Lou Andreas Salome and the whole thing. This, the writing I'll read from Rilke is from 1903. And from Jung, of course, here, it's 1914. So let's see. So I'll, I'll start where Carol began a moment ago at 383 and just read for a bit and then I'll switch to the Rilke. Endure them, the terrible ones. It is still dark and the terrible goes on growing. Lost and swallowed by the streams of procreating life, we approach the overpowering, inhumane forces that are busily creating what is to come. How much future the depths carry? Are not the threads spun down there over millennia? Protect the riddles, Bear them in your heart, warm them, be pregnant with them. Thus, you carry the future. The tension of the future is unbearable in us. It must break through narrow cracks. It must force new ways. You want to cast off the burden. You want to escape the inescapable. Running away is deception and detour. Shut your eyes so that you do not see the manifold, the outwardly plural, the tearing away and the tempting. There is only one way, and that is your way. There is only one salvation, and that is your salvation. Why are you looking around for help? Do you believe that help will come from outside? What is to come will be created in you and from you. Hence, look into yourself. Do not compare. Do not measure. No other way is like yours. All other ways deceive and tempt you and must fulfill the way that is in you. So again, he's opening up so much of the idea of tending one's own garden there, right? This is Rilke, and I'm not pulling all the quotes from letters to a young poet that for me resonate, including that very famous quote about living the questions as if, you know, living the questions into the the future, right? But I'll read some here. Rilke, 1903, you are looking outside, and that is what you should most avoid right now. No one can advise you or help you. No one. There is only one thing you should do. Go into yourself. We can't say who has come. Perhaps we will never know, but many signs indicate that the future enters us in this way in order to be transformed in us long before it happens. And that is why it is so important to be solitary and attentive when one is sad, 
because the seemingly uneventful and motionless moment when our future steps into us is so much closer to life than that other loud and accidental point of time when it happens to us as if from outside. The quieter we are, the more patient and open we are in our sadnesses, the more deeply and serenely the new presence can enter us, and the more we can make it our own, and the more it becomes our fate. And later on, when it happens, that is, steps forth out of us to other people, we will feel related and close to it in our innermost being. And that is necessary. It is necessary. And toward this point, our development will move little by little, that nothing alien happens to us, but only what has long been our own. People have already had to rethink so many concepts of motion, and they will gradually come to realize that what we call fate does not come into us from the outside, but emerges from us. It is only because so many people have not absorbed and transformed their fates while they were living in them that they have not realized what was emerging from them. It was so alien to them in their confusion and fear, they thought it must have entered them at the very moment they became aware of it, for they swore they had never before found anything like that inside of them. Just as people for a long time had the wrong idea about the sun's motion, they are even now wrong about the motion of what is to come. The future stands still, dear Mr. Kappas, but we move in infinite space. Mm. So he uses this phrase, the future of what is to come or what is to come. And he's speaking about, you know, the critical importance of our living our own existence, which continues to come up in this chapter with Jung really speaking. This I think may happen in the footnotes a bit, but his referring back to the ghosts, not living their lives and that time just continues and life continues Carol, what else? We had so much to talk about. Can you? Well, I would just really, I, I think in, ra- in wrapping up, since we won't ha- have time to read through this, for those of you who have the readers, who have the Red Book before you, this whole next section of the gift of magic is incantation, um, supplication, and prayer. And it is alchemical magic it is cooking it is how do we cook it how do we come to terms how do we put the ingredients in the pot how do we apply fire how do things go to solution how do they transform and what is the residue and what is the spirit of things so I just, um, I thought it would be interesting to share the images that go along with with this just noting that uh, it begins and ends with the same ritual act and ritual language. He says on page 385, a solitary is cooking up healing potions. He makes offering to the four winds. He greets the stars and touches the earth. He holds something luminous in his hand. And at the end, he says... Day approaches, and above the clouds, a distant sun. No solitary cooks healing potions. The four winds blow and laugh at their bounty, and he mocks the four winds. He has seen the stars and touched the earth. Therefore, his hand clasps something luminous, and his shadow has grown to heaven. And when you look at the images that Jung prepared in these incantations and prayers, there's a very powerful sequence. It's touching the stars and touching the earth. What we're looking at here, this blue and white and black image of a tree that foregrounds a potent exploding star. And it's radiating its light out in degrees of, um, of shades of blue. And it's the starry firmament manifesting itself in the material. So this is, this is where he begins in the invocation to the stars. Number 131. In 133, here again we have this, this extraordinary sequence of fractals. This idea of the parts to the whole. And I... 
I think about Jung and Pauli's conversations about understanding that there's particles and there's wave and that they're interchangeable, the idea of possibility and of always becoming. So it's interesting to me that all of these images are fractals, but we here, here we have this face, ambiguous in terms of gender, over the head is an earth or an ocean or a seed, a circle, a sphere, an orb that's descending over the head. There's, there's these fractals that reminded me a lot, actually, of Van Gogh's Starry Night, of the whirling stars above the firmament. And these staring eyes under these brows with fractals that could be tears or could be vision or could be a pathway in, could be a pathway out. And this a mouth and powerful chin, the, the broad cheekbones. But what is also interesting in this image is the little runes down below. Mm-hmm. And reading from left to right, this reminds me very much of oracle bones, of the Chinese oracle bones that precede Chinese language. So you have a figure kneeling, offering something to a second figure that is holding a flame or a torch or a spear holding someone upside down, holding an upside down figure flanked by um, another clearly a a figure that is um, holding triangles, not squares this time. And then this final rune that uh, actually reminded me very much of the rune for reading number 38, which is hands reaching for heaven over an altar. And the next image in this sequence that was image number 133 and then comes image 135 which is the world made here we have an egg we have an an oval that contains the cosmos reminds me of the egg that Isdubar is reborn from and here we have the cold starry fractal fracturing, emanating, radiating energy from the explosive dynamic star or force. And we have, you know, all of these life forms, tadpoles and serpents and things emanating from a center in the heavens, clearly a a cosmos, a deep black space, something that's both creating it and coming from it at the same time but that it is also part of the tree and that the tree's roots reach down into the red center, earth, and at the center is the serpent with the mandalas for eyes and what looks like what could be an iguana and a tortoise and a small um, lizard-like creature and a dog or a lion. This actually reminded me very much of of the phrase from the treatise on cosmic origins in the Wainanza, the old uh, Han Dynasty treatise on cosmic origins, where where he talks about the primordial chaos that precedes space-time, that precedes chi, that precedes manifestation, and where they talk about how there are worms with scales and worms with feathers and worms with fur and worms with hair. And I, I, this feels very much like that, like, you know, the yeah, world, world creation from, from, the, uh, uh, the, from chaos to very specific life forms. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is in this is the last form. That image to 135, it really, I mean, it's everything you just spoke to, but it, it's like the everything right? It's yeah. life, it's chaos, it's the everything, the Kali essence, and feels a bit like the Norse, the, what is it, the seven worlds of North? Yes. Yeah, well, and it's Indrafil, it's the world, it's the world tree. Uh-huh. But what's yeah. interesting to me is this is the last image, just uh-huh. this really simple mandala. And again, day approaches, the clouds a distant sun, no solitary cooks healing potions. The four winds blow and laugh at their bounty, and he mocks the four winds. He has seen the stars and touched the earth. Therefore, his hand clasps something luminous, and his shadow has grown to heaven. I, I find it amazing that this, after the incredible, rich, explosive richness, the fractalization and the particle and the wave, visualizations he comes back to really one of the simplest mandalas in the book Mm -hmm. 
Well, and this Jung is getting tired now, right? I mean, he, at this point in the imagery, I think this is just the bit of history is he's, the images are being painted in the early 20s now, right? I mean, he's now translating and moving all of this material from the black books to try to just continue this massive project of the red book, this leather bound volume that he had developed at a book binder and he's now just trying to fill in with all of this material right so he starts getting tired and his penmanship starts to change and everything starts to shift a bit but you can feel that because these images stop being completed and stop having the richness that 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 they did for such a long stretch i'm going to read one last paragraph and then we'll go to to our community, to Q&A. But this last paragraph really encapsulates so much for me, and it's on 385. It's really just a sentence here. Magic is the working of men on men, but your magic action does not affect your neighbor. It affects you first, and only if you withstand it does an invisible effect pass from you to your neighbor. Amen. What a journey. That was... That's one of those chapters that I feel like opens up so many cans for us to dive into. Thank you, Carol, for your deep dive into the images and Anne for your translation today. I'm bubbling with a lot. All right, all, if you have things bubbling, questions, thoughts, ideas, what's showing up for you? Hi, Claudia. Hi, I just, after hearing Jeffrey Keel last weekend at the Oregon Friends of Jung and finding a paper and reading it in preparation because I'm such a, it's hard for me to take it all in. But this image 135 just speaks to me of that particle and wave and how there's chaos, but there's order in chaos. And then there's that emergence into that sea of potentiality. And that's what I see in that last little mandala in the center, that sea of potentiality out of which everything emerges. Anyway. Mm -hmm. um, The sea of potentiality. Yes, the ocean of potentiality where the the in, the uh, standing waves are and, you know, and how that exists in physics as well as in yeah. human psychology. And I'm just totally filled with that right now. Can I read a little bit from what you sent me, Claudia? Yeah. I said, it was so timely. I so appreciated that this is from a paper from Behavioral Sciences, Carl Gustav Jung, Quantum Physics and the Spiritual Mind, A Mystical Vision of the 21st Century. Maybe I'll just read the abstract. We describe similarities in the ontology of quantum physics and Jung's psychology. In spite of the fact that physics and psychology are usually considered as unrelated, in the last century, both of these disciplines have led at the same time to revolutionary changes in the Western understanding of cosmic order these forms are real, even though they are invisible, because they have a, the potential to appear in the appear, empirical world and act on it. Act in it. I think that's so important. It doesn't that we they act on it, we act uh, in, in it. it. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Well, when it talks about, in contrast to their appearances, Electrons in atoms and molecules aren't tiny material particles or little balls which run around atomic, the, the atomic nuclei like planets around the sun, but they are standing waves. When an electron enters an atom, it ceases to be a material particle and becomes a wave. That is, and that's what this is a picture of. So I, I thank you for sending this because it's, you can feel Jung the artist, Jung the mystic, Jung the magician, and Jung, the psychologist, and you, that you can feel it all coming together in these images. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Steve, do you want to share with us what you have stewing over there? Hi. Well, I, I, I was really struck with this whole question of what solace or comfort means in this context. It reminded me of something from the Gospel of Thomas, um, the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, which is much more, which is much closer to a Buddhist text. It's almost like in this idea of becoming the imitation of Christ, it's like, well, here's the instruction manual. Here's how you develop this consciousness yourself. But there's this one passage of, let him who, who seeks, seeks until he finds. When he finds, he will become troubled. When he becomes troubled, he will become astonished and rule over all. Mm. 
So it's, it's just, I, th I think it's this idea that um, this is kind of the promise and danger of kind of like looking beyond the veil of ordinary life. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the shamans who have this mysterious illness and go up on the mountain and have this vision that they're being torn apart by these creatures and, and reassembled often with like a new bone in, in their body. It's this idea that you've been kind of put outside the realm of, of ordinary human affairs. And, and there's also this tradition in, 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 in a lot of these traditions of magic of, you know, well, it's very important for you to sequester yourself away from these ordinary cares. There's this kind of important text in the grimoire tradition of uh, the Abramelin, of Abramelin the mage, which is all about, you know, well, you're going you're gonna to seal yourself off from the world for this set of time and do this, this series of uh, this cycle of prayers. And this is how you get in touch with your holy guardian angel. The understanding in, in kind of the modern terms of this stuff is that that the holy guardian angel, that's what that really is, is it's your higher self. It's, it's an understanding of what you're really here to do. So it's this idea that you're getting this kind of like, you know, bigger, more objective perception of the world. And I think you see this in, in kind of like the archetype of how the wizard manifests in a lot of our stories and a lot of our fiction. You have these characters like Gandalf or Merlin who kind of enter the story saying, I know this bigger picture, you know, and I'm going to, and I know that there are these discomforts on the road ahead for us, you know, but I have to kind of like, you know, cut myself off from the compassion for the trials that Frodo or the trials that Arthur will have to endure because I, I see the ultimate goal that is having to come out of this. And I'm sorry, one more thing. It also reminds me of, there's an interview with, with Alan Moore after, after he kind of um, immersed himself into becoming a magician. This is the author, Alan Moore, who wrote The Watchmen and uh, From Hell and lots of other famous graphic novels. But he kind of came out as a magician when, at his 50th birthday. And this, this infused a lot of his later work. But he talked about this idea of like the shaman or the magician being like, like, oh, well, it's this weird guy at the edge of the village who you come to when you have this spiritual problem. And it's kind of like the plumber. It's like you don't really want to interact with the plumber unless you have to. You don't really want to know what the plumber is doing underneath the house as he's kind of like, you know, digging through all the muck and figuring out where everything connects. Um, you, just, you just want it to be done and taken care of. You want that one guy who knows, you know, that one person who knows how all that stuff fits together. And that's, that's kind of the role that that person plays in society, understanding how that kind of like network of stuff works behind the sceneries. Mm. How right so you are like, when, we, when, we op when we get to Philemon. I mean, this is all exactly it, right? The guy at the edge of town who's just doing his thing. You know, it really reminds me too of Yoda in, I mean, of Yoda all over the place, but particularly in his sort of banishment. I'm not thinking of the right word, but... But, you know, that for me, Jung speaking of magic has always really felt like the force and Jung's work has always felt like getting in touch with the force or Taoism and the honoring that time. And again, this is why it brings me so much solace now, right or wrongly, you know, is that time is incredibly expansive and we are feeling just a small portion of it. But Yoda knew this is going to go on for a long time. And if we can stay in the Tao and stay in the way and stay with the force, we're going to see how this unfolds. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Steve, so much. All those references are really illuminating and powerful for me. All right, loves. We have a, we have a lot of folks here today. Let's see. Hi, Linda. Hi, this is so fascinating to me as we're sort of, especially in timely for this weekend, as we just see the chaos that's going on around us and it's so overwhelming, and it really is about, there's no way that we can kind of connect to the outer world and find any kind of comfort or any kind of grounding or solution or answer, right? Because the news is just, and the things that are going on in the outer world are so overwhelming. So it really is like this idea of, pulling in and grounding in oneself is just so timely and to just see this how long ago this was written and how it's just describing what's happening today and I think also the idea of giving up comfort and the importance of that because or that idea because I think that that's kind of what's prevented us from 
making changes earlier. It's like, despite how everything that's going on in the world, as long as it doesn't directly affect us and we can stay in our comfort, there's no reason for us to kind of try to change. Yet, in our not changing, the world continues to change and things continue to happen. So to me, this idea of giving up comfort, again, it's so important and timely because we will just be overrun by what's going on if, if we don't give up that idea of comfort and, and face the mystery and the unknown and, and be able to go within so that we can accept that. I love that. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for taking us there. It does feel very modern in that context. Um, hi, Richard. I, uh, I guess this whole hour has been wonderful for me from an imagery standpoint, because I, as I've listened, I have created my own image around this hero's journey that is that alchemical magic that you refer to. And the snake in the wrapped around the rod for me is an image that takes me to the reptilian brain in a whole birth process. And then uh, Carol's reference and image of this, I I think you're calling it the Moira image where they're spinning and measuring and cutting from my standpoint, the spinning is sperm spinning around the egg And then the measuring is the development of the fetus over time. And the cutting is the umbilical cord being cut at the time of birth and the movement of the fetus from dark to light of life and, and uh, tending one's own garden and eventually returning to the dark in death and this whole moving in infinite space. (laughs) And and the, uh, it's just, this is so, I'm shuddering right now myself through the imagery that has been created. And I guess I feel like I've captured this hero's journey with you all today in my own way. Really cool. Thank you. I feel like in everything you just expressed, that image came back, I think 135, right, of the egg and the life and just how it's all here and how much this chapter encapsulates all of that. It's beautiful. Thank you. I just want to observe parenthetically, you may be familiar with this, Dick, but Dr. Stanislav Grof and Richard Tarnas at CIIS in San Francisco for years have put together a really remarkable understanding of the relationship of the individual horoscope to the birth process Mm -hmm. and that the planets, uh, that the planet Neptune is the enwombment, the planet Saturn is the contraction, the planet Pluto is the third stage labor and the planet Uranus is the cutting of the umbilical cord. And it is, it is really, really useful. I mean, they got into it to work with rebirthing and, and, and healing birth traumas. Uh, Groff came to this country as an uh, infant uh, disability specialist, but it has, if, if you Google their work, it is really, really interesting work. And it has for the ast- astrology world, a really uh, profound opportunity to see the birth chart as the literally the entire, the, what they call the biperinatal, biperinatal birth matrices, the four stages of it. So you just described that. Man, how many lifetimes to learn everything there is to learn? Mm-hmm. There. Um, hi, Jenna. Hi. So um, because I'm at the uh, Church of Salome, I think I can share a little bit of um, my, my dream that I had the other night. Um, sometimes I'll dream uh, words that I don't know or like foreign languages I have to go look up. And the dream that I had the other night my, my best friend was in the dream. She's actually here somewhere. Um, and she often symbolizes my own spirituality. In, she occurs a lot in my dreams, and I've come to know her as re- representing that. Um, in the dream, she was holding an ID, and her name was Scepter Destete, and I had to Google it. And Scepter is the staff, the rod, that represents sovereignty, And destete means weaning from the mother. And 
I, I mean, I have been on such a major intense spiritual path these last two years. And so with this whole, everything you've said today, it's like, yep, uh-huh, that's it. Yep, that's right. That's it. It's been so parallel with my path over the last two years. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like I'm coming around towards that end of the journey where it's kind of time to bring back what I got. Um, and so, I mean, I have full body chills right now, which I, I kind of also feel like shuddering. that. Inner, yes. I was just going to say like that inner vibration shuddering. It's like that magical knowing of like, yes, mm-hmm. truth. Mm-hmm. Another word that I had um, a dream just a few days ago, the word that I was waking up with was satnam, satnam, satnam. And, and I've done one Kundalini yoga class in my life and I can't do another one because it gave me tinnitus, but um, I learned that word, but I forgot what it meant. And I went and looked it up and it means like truth of God. So my dreams for me, I'm not a psychologist and I'm not an astrologer, although I'm very actively always studying both, but I'm a dreamer. I dream so much and so many parallels and pings and, you know, just confirmations come through this, through these lectures and through my dreams. So this is just beautiful. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you for your sharing. It's so rich to hear for me always to hear how this material is, you know, getting into your bodies and lives. And um, I know, you know, Carol and Anna and I today, I could feel like, for me, it's one of those sections, again, where we're all kind of buzzing. It's like, oh, my God, there's so many different directions to go. How do we do this in the in one hour? So it just is enriching to hear your experience. Thank you. And I, I just want to say, Jenna, about the tinnitus that this is where the gift of magic starts. The soul says to him, do you not hear something? He says, I'm not aware of anything. What should I hear? The soul says, a ringing. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I did not even put that together, but there's another layer. Right on time. Thanks, Carol. And before we end here, we're going a little longer than normal, but I would love to hear Magda has her hand up. Hi, Magda. Thank you. Hi. Um, so I have a question that is probably both really simple and really complicated. And so I just invite the three of you to answer however feels right. But for me, reading about magic and the word magic in this chapter, I, I feel like I have my own relatively specific understanding of what that means. And in applying this you know, mystical text to this time, I guess I, I would love to hear if there is a working definition or an example from each of you, something that you could speak to about what is magic? We have been weaving through that question. I I will sort of do my best to offer something brief here because I do think if we, if we look back to is Dubar's speaking of magic and, and that chapter, the first day of Jung and he speaking to it, you know, we see these different ways, but For me, I think Jung is coming to the entire core of his psychology here. He's saying the deep unfolding of your truest being and the presence with the symbolic, with time and space, that quality of Taoism, finding the moment, finding the way, finding the force, being in relation to the force. Um, You know, I think in all of that respect, then in terms of the practices that each of us use, there are endless practices, right? But it may be engaging with the tarot. It may be engaging with the I Ching. It may be throwing ruins. It may be astrology. You know, the the divination practices and the practices that allow our minds, our intellectual minds to sort of kneel down before the symbolic or the, you know, the unconscious. And that's what I was sort of this quality of coming back to the mother. I think it's this, it's the it's the stage in the ego self-axis journey, in the journey of individuation, in the journey, the hero's journey, in which the kind of reborn hero says, okay, I see from whence I came and I accept. I accept whatever comes and I allow that I am not in control. I do not know what is going on. I am not fully conscious, but I am here and have to live out my destiny fully. And so let's see what comes. And so for me, that is, you know, it is pulling the, not the tarot in the kind of classic way, but, but from time to time, having an image to contemplate or throwing the I Ching or checking in with astrologers, you know, these are things that keep me from, frankly, falling into extraordinary despondency around what's happening in our world. If I am, if I am in a single place of time, 
there, it's too much to digest. It is too much pain to digest, period. And so to be able to trust and release prostration pose, yoga, these things that let our egos trust the universe in different ways, being with nature um, when she's not burning, you know, is important. Carol, Anne, other thoughts? Thank you. And Magda, feel free to share. You know, I know this is important stuff for you as well. Yeah, Anne. In one sentence, I would say it was the reverence for the sacred, dark feminine. Mm -hmm. It's a good one sentence. Reverence for the sacred, dark feminine. Yeah. That made me shudder. Yeah. (laughs) Truth comes with a shudder. (laughs) The magicians amongst us. Thank you, Magda, for your question. Thank you all for community. And Carol, love you. Love all of you. Bye-bye. For more, please visit salomeinstitute.com. And please review, rate, and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Many thanks to our incredible podcast team. To Anne Carroll for German translation and soulful insights. To our producer, Ayal Alvis, for turning this rough audio into a podcast. To Kelly Swenson for your dedicated work behind the scenes. To Haley Hendricks for the incredible podcast music. And to Ray Davis for our beautiful art. You're all brilliant and talented, and we're very grateful. Please tune in soon for another episode of the Salome Podcast.